0: Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And
1: I'm Buzz
0: Heisenberg. And this is our Your State You segment with the Massachusetts Teachers Association President, Max Page, who has with him and us today a very important person with a lot of knowledge about something that we all want to know more about. Max Page, I turn the microphone over to you.
2: Thanks, Bill. Yes, good morning. We have here today a native of Western Mass, the 413 indeed, a fellow graduate of amherst regional high school where i also attended colin jones a senior policy analyst at the massachusetts budget and policy center welcome good morning colin
3: hey max hey, Will, and hey everyone great to be back so let's just
2: dive in you you all that is the mass budget and policy center put out a paper that i believe that you are the main author of on public higher education specifically analyzing two bills that were before the legislature on september 18th Um, a core bill that behind the mta has been behind the cherish act but also one we support called the debt-free future act and you know the mass budget and policy center has such great respect um in the policy circles and the legislature that was really important that for this report to come out so colin tell us first what's the what's the takeaway what was the um analysis that you at the 10,000 foot level that you brought to that hearing on September 18th
3: yeah Uh, no it was a really great um great event a great time and I would say the momentum for investing more and re, redoubling our support for public higher ed it's never been greater as far as I, i've seen in the last decade and so there's a lot of momentum um, growing for greater investment and, you know one thing that was very heartening about that hearing on the 18th was everybody understands how important umass and community colleges and state universities are um, uh, to to our state to our students to opportunities to our economy and so we all agree on that and we all know the situation of um you know years of underinvestment years of capital that uh, being eroding our buildings not being in in the great shape not treating our workers um uh, giving them full careers and support um and having our students being saddled with debt that's no longer acceptable so everyone really agrees on that and so the the new part i guess about this um hearing was that um there is a consensus that we need to do more um and uh particularly the, the cherish act and the debt free higher education act are these these next steps of if we are going to be, um, you know, take this to the next level and really be a leading the country in how we do this. Um, maybe, you know, our friends in California, Michigan, all these other states, if we're going to catch up with them, um, these are the directions we should go in. And um, one, one other positive thing about all this is the budget right now has over two, accidentally, were able to be uh, put online because we all um, voters passed them, the millionaire's tax in our state. So without the fair share um, surtax revenue, there wouldn't be this 200 million new investment, and most of it um, is for affordabilities, for scholarships, is for free community colleges to begin planning what's next. And so that is couldn't be a better uh, environment to then start talking about these two um, really significant pieces of legislation. So we did you know months of study on these. Um, they are, you know, you know, these are complex uh, pieces of legislation. But All we right. Yeah. Well,
2: let's get into it. Let's get into that. So, Colin, you've already answered one of my questions. We're talking to Colin Jones, uh, Senior Policy Analyst at the Massachusetts Budget and Policy Center. One of the things that you just answered was the question of why um, are things so difficult at at our public colleges and universities, and why is tuition risen so high? I think you provided the answer. Uh, and you do in the report that the Mass Budget and Policy Center put out, which is the state fundamentally it's about state disinvestment over the past uh twenty years. Um do you, so that's that's I think the core of it. Do you want to just quickly say how the report um, lays that out or what you know what the what that has meant the decline in state yeah. budget <laughs>
3: yeah absolutely so there's a very you know strong connection between the amount of um state investment in the budget and um tuition fees and how uh you know costs are are shared across higher education and so as we you know we looked at sort of between 2001 and 2022 um was about you know there was about a 15 percent decline in per student funding across public higher education so we, we always make sure to look at that data look at the trends um and um that's what we found, and then, not surprisingly, uh, tuition and fees had risen by um, around seven thousand per student over time when you adjust for inflation. So there's been a very direct connection between um, how much um, how much the state is putting in and um, how much the campuses are able to to depend on state funding, or alternatively, how much they're putting onto students and families. And as we we've, we've noted for a long time, as that have those loans have really um, have increased and so that's we've sort of known about these trends for a while and the question is when will there be a consensus or a groundswell that's big enough to say all right we're not going to tolerate this anymore especially with um, also addressing other issues on campuses with staff working conditions and buildings and um, you know we'd like to walk into every single campus from HCC to Greenfield to UMass Amherst and see a world-class institution that students say, hey, this is this is my future, my state's investing in me. So how do we get there? So I would say, you know, we, we've known the problems for a long time, um, but uh, there is a lot of optimism that we're addressing it. And one thing that has already started to happen is the last couple of years um, towards the, the middle end of the COVID pandemic, we did start to see some new investment. We did start to see um, tuition freezes for a couple of years. We did start to see action at the federal level to um, uh, stop loan payments and forgive more loans. But the question is, how do we go further?
0: So Colin, let let me ask you this. And and it's a question from Max Page, too. And uh, Colin Jones, of course, is from the Mass Budget. And uh, Max Page, president of the Mass Teachers Association. Question to both of you, if this legislation passes, the one you testified at, the one you prepared a report that is so important to, Colin Jones. How much will students at our community colleges and our university pay for tuition and fees? What are you looking for? Let's start with you, Max, and then we'll go to Colin. So
2: let, let's be clear. This is why this is, Colin referenced us taking a lead in the nation. We are by far in the lead. We are at the bottom half of uh, states in terms of our support for uh, public colleges, and universities, and affordability. What makes this unique in the country would make us a leader is it would say to every student, we will guarantee you will graduate debt-free. If you're very wealthy, you can graduate debt-free all on your own, thank you very much. Working class students will actually get support, that way they would likely go tuition and fee-free and get support for room and board. That's what the Cherish Act does. Is it really make sure that whatever your means are, the state will make sure that you have the support you need at the for the full cost of attendance, not just tuition and fees, but the full cost of what it would take for you to go to college successfully and uh, make sure you don't graduate with debt.
0: And this would this is realistic. This could pass the legislature. This could happen in the next year or two or five or 10. What are we talking about? Let me just stay with you for one more minute. Max Page.
2: Well, absolutely, and there, the, the, you know, Colin mentioned the fair share amendment. We passed the fair share amendment. That is the state voted for it last fall um, in last November, and it provides, it will provide upwards of $2 billion every single year and written right into our constitution now is that this money is for in part affordability of public higher education so that we provided the money. Now, the question is exactly how we're going to achieve this, this goal for economic and racial justice. So, and Colin has calculated out the cost of this program. So maybe we should hear from Colin what the report says about the cost of this bill and the other bill called the Debt Free Future Act.
3: Yeah, so I would say the principles that we're trying to achieve, uh, you know, there's pretty clear consensus on that. We want to be able to. Go uh tuition free-free. We want to be able to provide living cost support so that uh students and families, particularly low-income folks and folks who just haven't been able to afford to come back to school, they can they can access it. Um, but in terms of and the details do matter. The details are, are very important how those would be executed. So when we looked at the details of the two bills, it's the Cherish Act and the Debt Free Higher Education Act, we found uh, the Cherish Act to have a cost of $790 million when fully implemented, and then um uh the debt-free higher ed act to have a cost of 1.05 billion so those were those were the um the the figures that we were able to come up with and there was a different division of of which which parts of that dollar amount went to different things um but in terms of how we would do that i mean we have precedents um we are in the middle of a six-year plan to put um over two billion dollars into our k-12 education system um and so we have very recent precedent that says that if um, if organizing and, and education groups and student groups and families uh, and legislators and activists come together or with big ambitious goals on education, we can achieve these types of things. It's not going to be a, um, a one-year enterprise, but we already are, again, making progress. We did 160 million of scholarships just in the fiscal 24 budget, so getting from where we are to free community college with some living support, free state universities with some living support. We can come up with how we might roll that out over the coming five years or so. Um, And if we commit to it, and if we're serious about raising the revenue to get that done um, and using the fair share revenue, it is very possible. I'm not gonna say it's gonna be easy or anything, but it is certainly um, possible. And we're already going in that direction. We're adding revenue, and we're adding hundreds of millions of dollars to scholarships already. So we do have a, a runway here
2: so we're speaking with colin jones senior policy analyst at the mass budget and policy center who's written a very significant new report on pathways to achieving what we have long lacked in the education state which is truly high quality and truly debt-free public higher education so colin we've been talking a lot about numbers here about how much this would cost and that would cost how much there's decline in state funding but can you just hone in on something that you talk about in the report? Which are the racial and economic justice implications of achieving some form of high-quality, debt-free public higher education? And I think that's really crucial for for listeners to understand.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about the the students that we serve in public higher ed. Um, and it's a very diverse. Obviously, it's a young, very diverse population. So, what we did is we were able to show that when you did um, these big, ambitious programs on affordability um, and student support and um, support for buildings and infrastructure and faculty, um, and you looked, you know, just how um, who who's enrolled in our campuses, we found that it was highly equitable. So, you're you're helping students across the board from all backgrounds. But because of how diverse um, the population is at community colleges and math. UMass and state universities, you're really, um, you're making equitable investments. You're investing to reverse um, historical discrimination and racism in our society because you're investing and you're doing it while you're also helping all students across the board. I just projected, just if just proportionally, if, if there was, let's say there's 10% Asian Americans at a particular campus, those larger numbers, I just projected, okay, 10% of the benefits will go proportionately. And even when you look at it that way, um, it was highly equitable, and as we know, just sort of based on inequalities and structural barriers in our um, in our country, uh, students of color are more likely to be among those students with lower uh, wealth and family contribution and lower income. So they're probably going it's probably going to be even more equitable in practice than we were able to estimate at the time. And this is hopefully an exciting thing. We can actually work with the campuses and work with the Department of Higher Education to see how would this actually play out, and, and that is really important. I think. Um, as I mentioned before, the details do matter. So one of the things that um, we have to look at is to make sure that um, uh, every single campus can see a, a benefit for students, and I think um, one of the ways you can do that is, um, in, in one detail of the way that the um, Debt-Free Act grant was structured, was every single campus, every single student will get a grant equal to the total tuition fees at that campus um, once you account for like Pell Grants and state scholarships and stuff. So. This is this is a really equitable direction to go in. Um, I think we know that. Um, and that's, we're also hoping that we actually bring more students into the fold, we make it more accessible. when you say, you can come back to school, get a two year degree in a really important field in the economy, like nursing, childcare, teaching, um, you know, STEM computers, and you can come back, you can do it for without taking on loans, you can do it without paying tuition and getting some support to live. That's going to be very transformative for who can come back to school and, and making this a really truly equitable economy.
0: Colin Jones, uh, Senior Policy Analyst from the Mass Budget and Policy Center. I want you to address this for a minute. You're talking about the benefit to the students. You're talking about the benefit to the campuses of having debt-free higher education. I would like you to address for a moment, if you would please, how that helps everyone in the commonwealth above and beyond
3: yeah no great question so i think max mentioned this but you know massachusetts is very much known as the education state and we're getting to the place where about half of our residents have a have a college degree but we where the economy is going you know training after high school is basically becoming essential um in some form you need to get a two-year degree a four-year degree a certificate um that's necessary for everyone um and that's going to be a huge driver of our economy so i think there's there's a bunch of different ways you can look at it so if you think of you know, i grew up in in the pioneer valley so i knew that the the sort of anchoring effect of having great institutions like umass amherst and greenfield community college and you know those are those are huge anchors for the community they're the source of of um especially for your um, community college and state use they're often like a regional engine of where the workers coming from well they're being educated at our public campuses and it's not like you know Boston is getting people coming in from around the world to come you know study and work but in many regions of our state it's those public campuses that are really anchoring um, local economies and we've seen examples of, of that working and then we just saw one where um, unfortunately you might start with how a center leave <laughs> um, New Bedford and, and it's having the opposite effect when you don't invest so it's definitely something that is critical and helps everyone there's jobs created there's there's um the staff and support and professors and all the activity economically so we know there's there's a lot of investment there but um you gotta uh, you know you have to invest to get that return
2: and i will say that um it has been well proven in fact one of our um, fellow colleagues at umass amherst uh, michael Ash, has shown that um, the very best investment you can make for an economy in massachusetts is investments in education and especially public higher education
0: yeah. And let me just add one thing. If students come out and they can earn a good living and they can buy a house, have afford a mortgage, buy a car, support a family, that's good for everyone in the economy across the state, not just that person. And that's why graduating without this enormous burden of debt is so very important, not just to that student, but to everyone. It is our future that we're investing in. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the new tax bill just passed, just about to be signed, I think, by the governor. You want to hear this? We'll be right back.
4: This
5: is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
1: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and Co-op member, Bill Newman.
0: Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the Co-op every day. At the Co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe, and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just
5: the right amount in the Co-op's bulk department.
1: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
5: Jay Burnham here, voice of the Massachusetts Minuteman. Touchdown, Massachusetts! I just wanted to let you know that all of the UMass football action can be heard right here on our new flagship home for Massachusetts football. Here we go! It's WHMB.
1: 1.3 million meals provided to over 8,500 people in Franklin and Hampshire counties The Amherst Survival Center, making sure our neighbors have the food they need. Join the Amherst Survival Center's Hike for Hunger. Sign up now, set a fundraising goal, and come October, hit the trails. Ask friends and family to support your goal and support the Amherst Survival Center's food and nutrition programs. Hike Mount Toby, explore Buffum Falls, hike wherever you like. Bring your people, bring your pup, sign up at Hike for Hunger at the Amherst Survival Center website.
7: Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hwardwhmp.com at or call me at 586 7400.
6: WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and Messages from Community Nonprofits.
5: When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local news in the Pioneer Valley and for the Pioneer Valley. WHMP. <laughs> You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP.
0: We continue our conversation with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, and with Colin Jones, who is a senior policy analyst with the Mass Budget and Policy Center. Max, a big piece of legislation, a billion dollars in tax cuts coming to the people of the Commonwealth, according to the governor. Talk to us.
2: So I just want to make the bridge between what we were talking about before. That is a, a great report by Colin Jones of the Mass Budget and Policy Center. And one thing he notes in his study is that to create a true debt-free public higher education system, he estimates in his report, would cost about $331 million additional dollars. And um, that is about the amount, maybe a little under, what the legislature just passed in giveaways to the very wealthy and large uh, multi-state or multinational corporations in tax cuts. So I think it's just worth noting that we have we raised the money, um, and yet the legislature and the governor are now choosing to give a significant sum away in unproductive giveaways to the very wealthy and big corporations, when you have now a report that shows we just spend that on debt-free public higher education, you advance racial and economic equity, and you advance the economy um, so much more than any kind of giveaways to multimillionaires.
0: Yeah, I completely don't understand why this governor would support a bill that takes hundreds of millions of dollars away in taxes and gives them back to people who are day traders, who buy stock on Monday, sell it on Friday. I mean, and they should get a big tax break for what they made for holding a stock for four days. I don't get it.
2: Well, it's it's a political culture of, well, oh, we passed taxes on the, they're very rich. Now we got to give some of it back. We got to balance things out as if 99% and the 1% are of equal value. And unfortunately, politically, sometimes that's the case. Now, as Colin Jones of the Mass Budget Policy Center will highlight very quickly in one minute, there are a few good things. In this tax bill, that we should be happy about. So, Colin, if you want to just briefly summarize that,
0: and make yeah. us happy, and make us happy, Colin, we're going to end on yeah. a positive note. Well,
3: well, yes, yeah, so let's end on a positive note. So, yeah, there is a lot in that tax bill. There is an expansion of the child tax credit. So, if you know, um, you know, parents out there will get an additional child tax credit. Um, there is um, an increase in the rental tax credit, so renters are paying um, this rising rent, they'll get an additional tax break, and there's some also stuff in there for seniors, but I think, it, yeah, we have to look at the balance of this, and anytime you're doing a big tax cut bill, that's less revenue that's available for all the priorities, and so um, we have to kind of continue to have that conversation. Um, one thing that is also positive is um, there was a, a loophole where people could um, file their taxes together at the uh, federal level and then split their taxes at the state level to avoid paying the millionaire's tax, and we estimated that would, would cost us between 200 and $600 million a year, and it's an obvious loophole that is um, around the voters' intent to make sure that there's fair taxation in our state, so that closing that was part of this. So I think it's, I think we have to big picture. We, you know, there's a lot we need to do. We need to make transit affordable. We need to make childcare affordable. We need to make higher education excellent and also accessible. And so the idea of um, many of the people who oppose fair, uh, the fair share amendment or many people who are passing, want to pass huge tax cuts. What's your answer for investing in our state? What's your answer for solving these problems? Just hoping we'll, it'll work out is not a good enough answer. And as we've gone forward with proposals like the Cherish Act and Debt Free Act, we've said, we are willing to um, have adequate revenue and fair revenue and make sure that can happen. Um, and so uh, it is hard to defend, you know, people doing short sales of stock being the priority um, when we have all this other stuff to do. And that's a conversation we all have to kind of continue on with and not uh, expect just because we had a, a positive vote on taxes last year that it will necessarily hold. So that's a conversation we're going to continue to be a part of.
0: Which we will, we will continue to have on the show. We've been speaking with uh, Colin Jones, who's a senior policy analyst at the Massachusetts Budget and Policy Center, and Max Page, the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Peggy Gillespie and authentic selves, celebrating trans and non-binary people and their families right after this.
5: Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, coming up right here on WHMP.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A proposed housing development in Northampton for people 55 years old and up could require residents to volunteer their time. MassLive reported that a real estate company owned by David Fox, who bought the former Goggins real estate building for $2.6 million, plans to turn it into an 88-unit housing complex. The catch, however, is the requirement that residents must participate in events like a lunch and learn with local nonprofits and people with experience working in the relevant field. The proposed project would cost around $50 million to construct and would require an exception to the town's zoning bylaws to allow for a six-story building. Jury deliberations continue today in the Kara Rentala murder trial. Closing arguments wrapped up Wednesday after 20 witnesses were called by the prosecution and two by the defense. The Commonwealth argued that Rentala spilled paint in her Granby home's basement to cover up the crime scene, eliminating any evidence. This case is historic for the state of Massachusetts, as it is the first case where there was domestic violence and a murder charge brought against a same-sex LGBTQ couple. A former Huntington Select Board member who still sits on the town's Planning Board and Zoning Board of Appeals will have to pay a $5,000 fine for violating the state's conflict of interest law. The State Ethics Commission found Karen Hathaway in violation for having asphalt millings delivered to her house for personal use rather than to the highway department garage. The millings were intended for a repaving project on Route 66. In total, Hathaway received at least eight loads of millings, according to the commission, which she used to spread over her driveway, making it unreturnable to the town.
3: For today, it'll be cloudy and rainy, highs 62 to 66. Tonight, cloudy with rain, overnight lows 50 to 54. And the outlook for Saturday, showers in the morning, then partly sunny in the afternoon, highs in the upper 60s. I'm 22 New Storm Team meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
4: Who are the healthcare heroes in your community? Business West and Healthcare News announced the Healthcare Heroes Class of 2023. Meet this year's honorees and read their inspiring stories in Business West. Reserve tickets to the Healthcare Heroes Celebration on October 26th at Marriott in Springfield. Healthcare Heroes is presented by Elms College, Bay State Health, Health New England, and sponsored by Holyoke Medical Center, Mercy Medical Center, the Elaine Marib Center for Nursing at UMass, and the Institute for Applied Life Science at UMass. Visit businesswest.com today for details.
8: In 2022, Whole Children moved its campus to Northampton. We're continuing the same inclusive programming that we've been
9: offering since 2004 to students of all ages with and without disabilities. After School and Saturday classes for this session run from October 3rd to December 9th.
0: Take a look at the classes we have.
1: Yoga, Chorus, Dance movement. Cooking. Come take a tour.
0: Scholarships available.
9: Wholechildren.org.
10: Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. If you
6: love books, you'll love Broadside Bookshop. Find local news and local talk for the Valley.
11: It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator.
5: Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP.
0: We welcome back to our show Peggy Gillespie, who is, I think we call you the editor, the compilator, the interviewer, the author of Authentic Selves, Celebrating Trans and Non-Binary People and Their Families, who will be appearing with Leslie and Newman, whose new book is Always Matt, a tribute to Matthew. Shepard, tell us what the event is, and tell us why Leslea, who we were so excited about having with us today, has a really good excuse for not being here.
11: Uh, Yes, Leslea, congratulations to uh, her appearance on last night's 11th Hour on MSNBC. She was invited as a special guest to speak about banned books and, of course, her brand new book, A Tribute to... Matthew Shepard, Always Matt, a beautiful, exquisite book. So tonight, she is going to be reading from the book, signing this book that's now been seen literally all over the country, if not the world, on Stephanie Ruhle's uh, show. And she was fabulous. I watched uh, in with tears in my eyes last night. And um, she will be presenting that book, and I will be um, – Presenting a panel of trans people and non-binary people from the Valley who are in the book and also the photo text exhibit, which is up all day today, 12 to 5 at uh, APE Gallery, 126 Main Street in Northampton. And then at 530, the opening begins and at 6, Leslie will begin to speak. She's stuck in Penn Station right now, but she'll be here in plenty of time. Um, So come and meet all of us and the wonderful people from my book and exhibit. Uh, who have will be coming to tell you about it, sign books, and um, just fascinate you with their their stories.
0: And Leslie Newman talking about uh, banned books uh, is, I think, extremely poignant and important and timely. Since of course her book, uh, Heather has two moms, moms,
11: mommies, <laughs> is one of
0: the most banned yeah. books in the. In, Mommies across the United States, yes. Yes. Thank you. Okay, so... Let's let us talk about your book for a bit, if we could, please. Sure. Peggy Gillespie, Authentic Self, Ce- Celebrating Trans and Non-Binary People and Their Families. There's going to be a panel at APE Gallery tonight. You're going to be there. There'll be a book signing, a Q&A, a discussion, a community event. Tell us a bit more about what will happen at APE, this event with you and Leslie and Newman this sure. evening. Five o'clock, did you say?
11: Well, five 5.30 is when they're going to open the doors to everybody. The exhibit will be open all day from 12 to 5. And then at 6 pretty much sharp. Leslie will start the program by reading Always Matt um, and uh, sharing the pictures in it and then I will introduce the panel of about six or seven local people who are trans and or their family members who will speak um, including a high school student from Amherst Sophia Rao who's about 17 right now and her Dad is a trans man uh, who gave birth to her and her four siblings. And uh, she, uh, I can give you a quote from her if you'd like to hear something she said. Um, sure. Okay. Um, she said The most important thing to realize is that trans and non binary people are who they are, whether you approve of them or not. Why wouldn't you just want them to be happy if they are simply being who they are inside? And she says, continues, one of my favorite things about my family is that we all have the same sense of humor. I think it was easy for all five of us kids to support Ted because of how much happier he is now, that he can express himself the way he wants to. I think it's always important for everyone to realize that Ted has always been a man. So nothing has really changed except how we refer to him and what he looks like. It's not like we're going... We were going out and getting our nails done together every day, and now all he wants to do is go to Home Depot. <laughs> um, so he will be there as well. So he gave birth to five kids, um, and uh, one of them now is, is, has transitioned. They were all assigned female at birth, and the youngest is now uh, a male, his one and only son. <laughs>
0: Let me ask you this question. Your book, Authentic Self," Celebrating Trans and Non-Binary People and Their Family, first, it's a beautiful book. And I mean a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. The writing is exquisite. The photographs are amazing. And what I would like to know whether is whether any of the individuals who you interview, whose stories you tell in this book, have been subject to any kind of... Uh, pushback uh, or threats or have experienced any kind of difficulty because of their participation in this really uh, uh, just a beautiful, beautiful project. But I'd
11: like to know that. Thank you. Well, so far, and I'm in touch with uh, all 35 families that that I interviewed, no one has expressed any pushback. This doesn't mean that it won't happen, and I'm expecting the book to be banned at any moment, um, especially as we try to get it into Florida and other states like that with the exhibit. Now, this doesn't say that people haven't had um, many threats to their lives in the past, and in particular, one of the people in the book and the exhibit, Senator Sarah McBride, the state senator of Delaware, has just announced about a month or so ago that uh, she's running as the first openly gay, um, I mean, I'm sorry, first openly trans woman uh, for the United States Congress, and we are all praying that uh, she wins. She's a remarkable politician and person, but she, of course, in the work that she does in her open life, is threatened, um, and yet taking the courage to step forward and hope, hopefully represent all of us in fighting back these hor- horrific bills and uh, legislation, proposals um against lgbtq people um bill
10: Bill and and peggy gillespie this might be a good time for me to just um uh flash this in on friday morning's globe it's reported that senator diane feinstein has died and i can't help but think about what a champion she was for uh, lgbtq plus rights her entire career her uh She's one of only 14 senators to oppose the Defense of Marriage
3: Act, uh,
10: which prevented the federal government from recognizing same-sex marriages. She chaired the first congressional hearing on repealing the uh, the Abdoma, and uh, she sponsored the Respect for Marriage Act. She was a consistent opponent of the military's Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Uh, She filed legislation to prevent discrimination uh, based on gender identity and sexual orientation, and... Uh, on and on. She died at 90 years old. She was a pioneer in every way. The first woman president of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors with their city council, uh, the first woman mayor of San Francisco, uh, one of two first women elected to the U.S. Senate. She's been serving longer than any other senator, and I just thought it was a good time when you're talking about a trans, the first trans yes. person to, uh, to run for Congress. I think it's a good time to... Um, Give a nod to the extraordinary career of Diane Feinstein.
11: Thank you for mentioning that. I just saw that before I came here. And I know that she would welcome Sen- uh, Senator Sarah McBride uh, to the Congress, would have been a great champion. In fact, I will just tell you that Senator McBride, who again is in the book and the exhibit, was um, the first openly trans woman who was an intern in the White House with Obama and was there the night that the uh, marriage equality passed when the rainbows were all over the White House. And she said, I was walking into Obama's White House with my new ID reflecting my name and gender as my authentic self. And when that White House was lit up like a rainbow, it felt that everything is possible.
10: What an image.
11: Yes. Um, so in what is important for me about my... Um, Book is that they that it's titled Celebrating Trans and Nonbinary People and Their Families because this is a celebration of people who have struggled, who have been victims of violence. And we're really hoping that people will come tonight who don't know trans people, who are trans or non-binary, or their kids. We welcome everyone because it's so important to know that all people are just human beings. And uh, the ones I interviewed, which were quite a few people, remarkable, warm, loving, uh, caring human beings who deserve so, not only respect, but love, admiration, and celebration.
0: Peggy Gillespie, you'll be appearing at APE Gallery this evening uh, with Leslie and Newman. Uh, she, because of her appearance on MSNBC, yesterday night last night could not be with us today but maybe you could be maybe you could be kind enough to read for us what Leslie can't do because she isn't here the f- two two paragraphs on her author's notes which gives some sense of her new book always Matt a tribute to Matthew Shepard could you yeah, do that for us
11: absolutely and this book is for all <clears> ages <throat> I will say that um, on October this is Leslie's voice on October 12th 1998, when I headed for the airport en route to Laramie to give the University of Wyoming's Gay Awareness Week's keynote speech, I knew I was starting out on a trip, but I didn't know I was also embarking on what has become a lifelong mission to make the world a better place for LGBTQ plus youth. Matt's voice was forever silenced on that day. He died that day. It was my, it is, and was my responsibility as well as my privilege to speak out as a way to honor his memory. Change does happen, often one heart at a time. Once, after I gave a reading from my other book, October Morning, a song for Matthew Shepard, at a Massachusetts high school. A member of the football team was so moved by Matt's story that he stood up in the auditorium and said in front of 300 of his classmates, I am never going to use the word gay as an insult again. Another time after I gave the same presentation at a college in Kentucky, a student ran out of the auditorium, threw open the door to a convenience store across the street, and strode over to the clerk behind the counter. He said, I just heard the story of Matthew Shepard. I'm sorry for teasing you about being gay. I promise never to do that anymore. Then he leaned across the counter and the two men embraced these experiences give me hope, courage and the strength to keep speaking out on behalf of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and she asked at the end of the book, what can you do in Matt's memory to, in order to make a difference? And that is a question that I ask all of you for Leslie, and for myself.
0: Peggy Gillespie and Leslie Newman will be at the APE Gallery this evening. The presentation begins promptly at 6 o'clock. The gallery is open all day, 12 to 5. Doors open when, Peggy?
11: Uh, well, they'll probably be always open, but 5.30 we invite people in to see the exhibit, and then at 6 we will start the pa- uh, the speaking with Leslie and then the panel.
0: Peggy Gillespie's new book is Authentic Selves, Celebrating Trans and Non-Binary People and Their Families. Leslie and Newman's new book, Always Matt, a tribute to Matthew Shepard. Thank you so much for being with us, Peggy. Congratulations on the book. Really look forward to seeing you this evening.
11: Thank you.
5: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley.
11: It wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors.
5: Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. Building a deck, rent a power post hole auger, a hammer drill to set the anchors, and a laser level, cause who wants a crooked deck? Whatever the job, chances are TJ's rents the tools and equipment to make it easier, safer, and cheaper. What projects do you want to tackle? Rent the right tools and equipment at TJ's. We'll show you how to use them. You'll get the hang of it in no time. PJ's Rental, Route
12: 202 in South Hadley. Give us a call and fill up your propane tank while you're here.
11: Hi, I'm Jane Wolf, Executive Vice President of Residential Lending, asking you to come
8: on over to the co-op. It just makes sense. And dollars, Jane. I'm Angie McClay, Residential Loan Underwriter, and we want you to know we've extended our mortgage promo, so there's more time to save on your mortgage closing costs.
11: That's right. There's still time to save up to $1,250 when you obtain a pre-approval from GCB. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations.
8: Our local experienced mortgage team is happy to help walk you through the process and
11: answer any questions. You may have. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing cost credit plus an additional $500 when we pre approve you. Close by
8: November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See Bank
11: for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co op. Beat goes on. Drums
0: keep pounding, rhythm. And this is Art Beat with Donna Bell who has with her and us today a very special guest indeed. Donna Bell Cassis, the microphone is yours.
8: Thank you, Bill. Good morning. And before I begin, I just want to thank Betsy Stone for filling in for me while I was in Peru for the last two weeks. But anyway, Topographies: an Afro Futurescape. Mixed Media and Assemblage awesome by Ebby Russell is up at 50 Arrow Gallery in Eastworks in East Hampton. There will be a festive reception, I can't say closing because it's been extended, on October 5th. And today we have Ebby to speak about their work. Uh, welcome. Thanks, Donna Bell. Thank you for having me. Um, yes,
9: um, I'm very excited to present Topographies. Um, it is actually the second time I'm showing this work um, in a different iteration. It was previously showing at the Burnett Gallery at Jones Library in Amherst in July. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it is sort of an exploration of uh, fantastical imaginative worlds. Um, I'm also working on a speculative fiction short story, so a lot of the the collage and the assemblage that you see uh, 3D pieces kind of reflect um, the world that I've been building for the short story that I'm writing.
8: Now, Ebby, you are a U.S.-born Black queer femme self-taught artist with many skills. Um, I know you are a writer, a choreographer, a visual artist, and your work is heavily rooted in the uh, African diaspora movements. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so yes, I've been a dance instructor
9: for, gosh, I guess 10 years now, um, and a lot of that has been uh, rooted in different types of African styles of dance, uh, incorporating West, South, and East Africa, Um, and my, yeah, my visual art and my writing is very rooted in Afrofuturism. Um, which is kind of a, a genre of science fiction or speculative fiction that really looks to um, African and Afro-Indigenous sort of views of the world um, to, to envision new worlds. Um, mm. One beautiful thing that I love about it is this, like, Um, This incorporation and this understanding of technology is something more than just like computers and devices and things to advance us, but actually looking to nature and sort of the the earthly tools that we have um, as like possibilities for like how we can envision new
8: worlds. Can you tell us about what we can see at 50 Arrow Gallery? Now I know Jason Montgomery who runs the gallery um, with Alex Wollner. Um, it's now extended through the 12th, I believe, to so that it's open during the East Hampton Arts Walk. But what can folks see when they come in to see your show? Yeah,
9: so um, you will see a lot of uh, 2D pieces. I do a lot of um, collage on paper. Um, you'll see a lot of black backgrounds, which also kind of reflects the like Afrofuturist, um, imagining things sort of in space. Um, you'll also see some three D, what I like to call soft sculpture. I'm doing air quotes for soft. For um, those air on, air in radio, air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> radio air quotes. Uh, some soft sculptures, which are just kind of a uh, conglomerations of sort of found objects. Um, one highlight is this kind of bronze foam head. Um, that has taken different iterations, um, and that is that is a representation of the main character of my story, Siblier. Um, So she's a she's an eye-catching piece in there. But there's also some other um, some other three D elements. Um, whenever I do an exhibit, I also like to uh, do some sort of altar, um, whether it's reverence to ancestors, real or imagined, or an altar to friends. Um, so you'll also see that um, you should definitely check out the reception, uh, the lighting will be even more intentional with like faux candles and, and beautiful lights um, and just creating this atmosphere of, of welcome into this world. Hmm.
8: So tell us, when is this reception? Because now, is this sort of, it's not a closing reception but just sort of a celebration reception, shall we say? Yes, yes, it's the almost closing reception. Almost closing, right. Yes. So, so that's when, gonna... when is
9: it and where? Yeah, um, it's going to be at 50 Arrow Gallery um, on Thursday, October 5th from 5 to 8 p.m. Um, it is going to be masked to you know, accommodate um, our immunocompromised and just, you know, uh, sensitive and vulnerable populations, including myself. Um, And yeah, it'll be a good time. I will probably read some poetry and have some art prints for sale. Um, I will also probably have a couple books. I was published earlier this year in in an anthology, in a poetry anthology, so I'll have a couple of those books for sale too
8: wonderful wonderful and can you tell us about the current book you said you're working on um so we could look out for that yeah um
9: so it's it started off as a short story but it's i think it might be something closer to a novella um i had a working title for it but then i was then i thought about it and i was like hmm the title of this exhibit might actually also be the name of the of the story that i'm working on um because it's t- um the reason I chose topographies was to think about like, what is the landscape? What are the sort of natural resources and the the ways that things look in this world? Um, So the story is kind of, it's a little bit speculative fiction. It's a little bit um, horror. There's uh, a lot about ancestors and memory um, and a lot about like the African diaspora and, they're going to be like nods to like the transatlantic slave trade and just like thriving and surviving as like a black person <laughs> in the world. Right, right.
0: I would be interested to know this. Artists tell us on the show, and particularly on Donabel Cassis's Art Beat segment, that they learn something about themselves when they create their art, and the art sometimes is surprising in to them, and I'm wondering whether you had any experience along those lines in putting together this exhibit.
9: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm definitely always learning about myself. Um, I think as a dancer for so long, you know, there's there's certain expression that I didn't know was there until, you know, it was physically expressed. I think the same comes through with with how I approach my visual art. Um, there's something specifically about collage and making things by hand out of things that you already have or that you' found that is just kind of intuitive and I've learned a lot about like my intuition and where that can lead me and how that leads into these like interesting compositions that I wouldn't know unless I started you know getting into them so <laughs>
8: now you've also i just want to just touch briefly before we go so if you want to see ebby's show topographies An afro futurescaped mixed media and assemblage it's at 50 arrow gallery on the second floor of eastworks in east hampton um there's a special reception on uh, october 5th from 5 to 8 but the show will be up through october 12th so you can see it during the eastwork arts walk or i'm sorry east hampton art walk and just briefly Ebby, um you know i love that you're incorporating all the different facets of your creative expression through dance through art through writing um you know if you want to see this aspect in the show please go visit 50 arrow gallery and uh, you know the other thing i wanted to to mention is that you also use dance to address healing and honoring intergenerational trauma and chronic illness. And what a beautiful way to do that uh, and to also incorporate it with your 2D visual art. Um, Abby Russell, thank you so much for joining us today and really wonderful show at 50 Arrow Gallery. Thanks so much, Donnabelle.
0: Thank you, Donna Bell, for bringing a very special, wonderful artist to our studio and our show today. We really appreciate it. This has been Artbeat with Donna Bell Casas. Thank you both so very much. And congratulations on your show. It just sounds wonderful.
9: Thank you.
11: I said take this child, Lord, from Tucson, Arizona. Give her the wings to fly. Here come-
5: Dear Massachusetts, marijuana is now legal for adult use.
6: Keep your kids and pets safe by keeping all cannabis products in child-resistant packaging. Store your cannabis in a lockbox out of sight and out of reach from your children and teach them that cannabis and alcohol are for adults only and that prescription medications are only meant for the person they are prescribed for. Brought to you by the Northampton Prevention Coalition, working together to
2: protect the developing brain. NorthamptonPrevents.org.
6: WHMP
1: North WHMP.
5: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
10: And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And there's Bill Newman with us. Um, Seems like we're having a a technological problem. Bill's saying hello. And and I'm Bill
0: Newman. (laughs) There you are.
10: So good. I love technology. There is a very special event that's going to be happening next uh, weekend um, for October 7th and October 8th. It's happening in South Hadley. Every time I go there, I'm surprised at what a wonderful community it is in South Hadley. Only say I'm surprised because it's the other side of the world from Ashfield and the Hilltowns where I live. Mm -hmm. But it is to showcase South Hadley and with us to talk about it, our co-chair Uh, John Anz and uh, committee member and cultural council member Ira Brzezinski, but also is the town administrator for South Hadley, uh, Lisa Wang. And Lisa, I guess I'd like to start with you. What is this event and how did it come to be?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first I'll say there is so much stuff happening in South Hadley, but that's a weird neighborhood event. There's so much stuff happening in South Hadley. (laughs) (laughs) So we thought Showcase South Hadley sounds great. Um, It's a weekend full of art, music and culture and just community. Um, I'm so excited for it. Um, but I do have to say, I mean, South Hadley is amazing, 365 days of the year. There's so much happening. I think this this idea for this particular event came from lots of conversations where we're all kind of kind of coming out of the pandemic and saying, wow, there's a lot of activity happening. We kind of want to brag and showcase the things that are going on. Uh, we want to give people this full lineup, which is a taste of how great South Hadley is, and then uh, start to promote the town year-round. So that, that's kind of how this came up with, just conversations about all the great things that are happening and how to showcase this town for the residents in the region.
10: Uh, that's a great way to showcase the town. And so, well, let me ask you, John Anns, what kind of things are going to be yeah. happening?
4: Well, I was going to say that was that's a, um, a hard description to follow because that really en- encapsulates everything we're doing. I would say the, in, the genesis also was to do something for South Hadley, by South Hadley, of South Hadley residents, and really showcase to the town, what the town has, just in case people didn't know. And then that grew to encompass even, you know, we we have everything from uh, local artists doing things for the community who are already in the community to internationally renowned acts coming to play in our town as well, so that not only is there something for our town that they may not be aware of, but there are are things that would attract people from out of town to come to South Hadley to learn about things they didn't even know existed. And so... um, It it is
10: really true for most of us who who are not from South Hadley, who live on the other side of the valley. Um, you know, we think of South Hadley, we think of Mount Hoyok. Yep. we think of the Odyssey Bookshop, we think of a wonderful movie theater. And we don't think of much else because we only get there usually for one of those reasons. But this is really a compelling yeah. lineup. What, it, so what it kind does, of things So it, are, does,
4: it does showcase some of our local artisans. There are some um, businesses in town that are involved in the arts, literally the, the, the uh, physical and or, or graphic arts. Um, there are um, musicians involved. There are... Um, uh, Boy, there are there are comedy uh, acts, there are uh, student uh, performances, and uh, and then you know, other uh, local bands and uh, and workshops. There's a historic walking tour um, done by our historic commission um, of really of a whole you know a mile and a half route in town, and um, and you know the that's what we're trying to do is is showcase everything we can about South Hadley, and we've uh, we've got a really uh, a big program um, over the course I, of two I am,
10: days. I am looking at this program, John. And I can, I found it at South Hadley Arts OneWord dot org, and uh, I'm looking at this astonishing uh, Harlem uh, Gospel Travelers, uh, the Young at Heart Chorus. Of course, any event worth having needs the Young at okay. Heart Chorus and and uh, the Bombix Brass Collective, just to name a few. The Happier Valley Comedy is going to be there. Uh, the Kevin Sharp uh, group. This is—it's just extraordinary. So, Irie, are you—you you must be really excited about this.
13: I'm excited about it. I'm particularly excited to get it done and over with because I need <laughs> to rest. Uh, the uh, so we've divided it into two days. October seventh, Saturday. Everything will be focused on South Hadley Center. So the town common will be. Uh, entirely fenced off will be we'll have uh, food trucks and uh, beer and wine Uh, there'll be a large stage that's being brought in by Klondike Sound there'll be six acts on the common from um, early afternoon right up until 10 o'clock at night across the street at the two churches that are in the center there are going to be other uh, music and other performing acts going on everything from uh, the Holyoke Civic Symphony uh, string Quartet to, uh, you know, John mentioned Improv with the Happier Valley Comedy Troupe. Uh, School for Contemporary Dance and Thought is going to be doing some some dance at 3 o'clock in the afternoon at one of the venues.
4: Large community band.
13: Yep. Uh, well, Pioneer Valley yep. Community, yep. community band. So th- there's a wide variety of things from jazz to rock to classical, everything in between. Well, Ira at- Brzezinski, who curated this?
10: Who decided which acts to have? I'm getting well, smiles from both John Ann's and Ira here. It, it,
13: it was a group effort. Uh, we have a pretty uh, large, a, a robust steering committee. And uh, so uh, John and I and others uh, brought ideas to the table. Um, and so we just put it together as a group, uh, Laudable Productions, which uh, is near and dear to lots of people's hearts here in the Valley and is is uh, has become a real force in producing community-based culture and arts programming is, is helping us uh, with this whole uh, Their project. web of
10: connections is pretty <clears throat> amazing. They're connected with great performing artists from all over.
13: Yeah. The whole okay. thing gets started Saturday morning. This will be interesting. You mentioned uh, the Odyssey Bookshop. Um, it all gets started Saturday morning with a panel discussion at 10 o'clock in the morning um, entitled The Band Books Brunch, And every time I say that, people who are in bands say (laughs) B-A-N-D, think that it's B-A-N-N-E-D, and it's all about uh, uh, censorship and and the whole issue of banning uh, books. And it's being led by uh, Martin Garner, who is a South Hadley resident. He's also the uh, head librarian at Amherst College and a nationally renowned expert on the topic. And so he's bringing together a panel of folks that includes Joan Grenier, the owner of the Odyssey Bookshop, uh, uh, Joe Rodeo, who's our South Hadley town librarian, and, and others. Uh, so that'll be interesting. That's at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then it just goes from there. We've got yoga and exercise, and then lots of music and arts
10: and for two days. John ends on uh, Sunday. There's a jazz
4: brunch. What? There is. So uh, just we wanted to kick off the morning uh, Sunday with uh, something a little bit different as well. And uh, we have a, a great trio, the Claire Arrhenius Trino. Uh, people know Claire up here. Um, She's fantastic. A great, great drummer and assembler of other super musicians. And so that'll start off at, um, uh, at 11. And um, uh, again, just a nice way. It's the only ticketed event. Everything else is free of charge the entire weekend. And uh, people who want to, uh, you know, come uh, sit down and have a little brunch and get the day started on Sunday with a little uh, music as well. uh, That is what that is.
10: I'm looking at the brunch menu. (laughs) I'm getting hungry looking at the brunch menu. It's a pretty sophisticated menu.
4: I I, just wanted to add, you know, when we're talking about how much programming we have, just a little uh, historic uh, context is that, you know, part of the proposal to put this thing together was because we hadn't done much in town since COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I assume other towns are in similar situations. But prior to COVID, um, you know, Ira uh, is, was responsible for a lot of the stuff that took place as president of the Music and Arts South Hadley group. They did a Falls Fest, they did a Jazz Fest, they did a Craft Fair. What we tried to do coming out was um, not piecemeal our way back, but do all of it all at once. And so that's where the, the robust programming comes from. Um, but hopefully, to put us back on the map, both for our own <laughs> residents and those in the region. Um, who can come and just get uh, a, whole, a whole bunch of entertainment and, um, and wonderful experiences in one weekend. Um, and then we'll see where we go from there.
10: Well, let me go back to you, Town Administrator Lisa Wong. We began this conversation talking about showcasing, why showcase uh, South Hadley, the wonderful town of South Hadley. And it is a wonderful town. So, but why do you want to showcase it? What, what do you hope will result from this weekend of festivities?
1: Well, you know, I'm just thinking about some of the things that have happened recently. Uh, We got an anonymous donor, six figures, who gave us money to conserve Lozier Farm. Um, We have the inauguration of President Daniel Hawley at uh, Mount Holyoke College. He's coming from uh, the dean of law school at Howard University. That just happened last weekend. Fantastic event. Um, uh, I mean, we just, we've just built a brand new senior center, which is really community center that's showcasing, um, and hosting so many events for the town. We have a number of small businesses, including Iona's, um, that have opened up and, you know, there's so much excitement happening in the community. Um, sometimes it does take a big event like this to bring people downtown, but um, I mean McCray's Farm is is doing a lot more. This is really their their season if you want apples and Halloween, and uh, I mean it, it, there there's so much excitement happening in the community. We just want to want to brag about it. Uh, but I have to say, what I really love about the community building is. You know, I'll be driving between town hall and the library and I'm looking at Ira, you know, placing signs out (laughs) (laughs) showcasing the event or the next day I'm talking to him and his capacity as chair of the capital planning committee and talking about the meeting. Um, Or, you know, one of our puppeteers who's going to be performing in the weekend, you know, he was at our local select board meeting uh, applying to be part of the cultural council. So. I think that the weave of community that's happening right now is just really exciting. Um, and we've all been a little isolated for a while, and I, I just want to uh, highlight and showcase all the great things that are happening in South Hadley. It's a community that is really near and dear to our heart, um, but we want to have the residents really celebrate it, and we also want to put it on the map.
10: I want to reiterate, this is October 7th. And is eight. this... Right?
0: I'm sorry, Bill. Now, I... I just want to know, is this kind of an event, real unusual, different novel for South Hadley, or is this a continuation of something?
4: John? This would be new in this iteration. So in the past, there had been separate events, um, annual events, that took place um, sort of encompassing a single genre, whether it be a jazz fest um, or more of a what we called false, false fest, which had a little bit more of a sort of a... Uh, a, a, a rock, um, you know, cover band, uh, you know, local artist sort of sense to it. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Ira, because that was your show. Mm-hmm. Um, large craft fairs and things like that. This is trying to put all of those things. We are not genre specific. We go from bluegrass um, uh, to fiddle music to uh, rock to cover to uh, straight up jazz uh, to gospel. Um, so, yeah, this is the first of this kind in this town. Um, uh, but it encompasses all the things that we've done for a long time pre-pandemic.
10: I'm looking at the schedule here, Ira, um, and I'm seeing that it really kicks off tonight at the Eliza Moser Fine Art Studio and Gallery with um, Paint Night, where people who have always wanted to take a stab at painting and have never had the courage to do so are invited to come and and it's a perfect place for a safe place for beginners to try their hand at literally their hand <laughs> at painting I guess you could paint with your mouth or something else but um, try their hand at oil painting and um, that one there is a $55 charge for it. but all, all the other events it seems like are free
4: right and then and that this this um, offering is again it's sort of the the, the that business opening themselves up for a, for a special event you know to sort of showcase themselves um, uh, where it didn't take a lot of curation it just took some coordination Right,
10: right. Well, I see. It. The schedule begins with it. And right. I thought it's actually a nice yeah. a nice idea. Uh, yeah,
4: oh, and, and, and a lot of the other artisans, like um, like Eliza Moser, will, will be doing that as well and, and showcasing both their wares, but also engaging the community in activities that they can be a part of. I see.
10: Um, we are speaking with uh, John Anns and Ira Brzezinski and with Lisa Wong. We're going to take a break. We're talking about uh, South Hadley's showcase. South Hadley, which is coming up on the 7th and 8th of October. You can find out more about it at southhadleyarts.org. We're going to continue our conversation. This sounds like a wonderful weekend. Right after this. Ever since I was a
6: young
5: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka. Celebrate the Valley's proud Polish heritage with polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the Valley playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits there are polka hits brought to
6: you by saluzniak funeral home northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled thoughtful memorial care
5: it's polka carousel whmp
1: what's cooking at river valley co-op here's avid eater grocery shopper and co-op member bill newman
0: Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice, get just the
12: right amount in the co-op's bulk department.
1: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
12: Environmental nonprofit, Ocean River Institute, is working with communities to tackle climate change with nature-based solutions that feature slowing water down and building more soil with grasses and plants. Research indicates that people acting in their own neighborhoods can build an inch of soil in a year and slow sea level rise down by as much as 25%. Please visit oceanriver.org for more information on opportunities to make a difference and go the distance for savvy stewardship of a greener and bluer planet Earth.
11: What if there were a way to go into cancer surgery or treatment feeling more comfortable and optimistic? Recorded meditations can help. Doctors have said that it makes their job simpler. Nurses tell us their patients may go home sooner and need less pain medication. Cancer Connection creates custom meditations for people affected by cancer, and you don't even have to come in. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge.
5: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
10: And welcome back to the show. We are here talking to town administrator for South Hadley, Lisa Wong, for co-chair John Anz of Showcase South Hadley and with Ira Brzezinski, who is one of the organizers and on the Cultural Council. And Ira, we were uh, talking about what the lineup is, what the schedule is, and uh, what's going to be happening after the jazz brunch on Sunday morning.
13: Yeah, so um, South Hadley is one community, one wonderful community made up of uh, several distinct neighborhoods. And the original neighborhood for South Hadley, going back to the 18th century, um, was South Hadley Falls in the southern end of town. And so while Saturday is going to be in the center of town, Sunday is going to be all focused on South Hadley Falls. And uh, following the historic walk, which is going to happen at 10 o'clock in the morning, and then the jazz brunch, which uh, begins at 11 o'clock, Starting at about noon, 1 o'clock, there will be a variety of activities and three performance venues that will be happening all in South Adley Falls. So the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church, from 1 5, is going to feature all jazz performers. The Berkshire Hills Music Academy at 1, a group called the Bills Seafood Jazz All-Stars, which is a weird name.
10: seafood and jazz.
13: uh, (laughs) We're not going to... We're not going to have any seafood, but we're going to have a great Dixieland uh, quintet that's coming from Connecticut. The connection to South Hadley is that Tom Boats is their leader. And for those of you that uh, remember Tom back from the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, he was a wonderful band director at South Hadley High School for all of that time. He's a phenomenal jazz trombonist and bringing five wonderful jazz musicians Um, And then the the final act in the Methodist Church will be the Amherst Jazz Orchestra. And that'll go from one to five. Um, Right across the street, outdoors, is going to be fiddle music, uh, both bluegrass and Celtic music, uh, with three different acts there. Below the gaff, um, Celtic Calamity, and Eric Lee. Um, And then up the street at the library, outside, will be two rock bands, uh, cover bands uh, that will be performing uh, "Midlife Crisis," just kind of an Almond Brothers uh, vibe, uh, followed by Seven Bridges Road, which is uh, Eagles tribute band.
10: Wow, what and, a packed schedule!
13: Yeah, and then indoors at the library, there, there are going to be some activities with uh, a learn uh, uh, for kids. Uh, one is going to be Michelle Kostic, who's going to be doing a sing-along and ukulele and other instruments for children uh, suggested eight and under, and a uh, learn to code class from code.org, which will be basically uh, K through 12. Um, And on both days, we're going to have out of the Ark, which is a group um, that uh, uh, rescues exotic animals, uh, reptiles and that sort of thing. They're going to have animals there for people to see and I think touch. Um, and they're going to do a, a demonstration as well at, at various points.
10: It really is so eclectic the the menu. You
4: yeah, a- just
13: one and one other thing I forgot is there'll be an artisan village uh, as well.
4: Yeah, and, and face paint. I mean, there's there's actually so many other activities also taking place. You know, there there will be um, uh, face painting. Um, uh, a, a number of groups that um, you know wanted to be involved and take advantage of you know uh, student groups and other things. So it's just there's a, a ton. Bill. There is a ton. Is
0: it? Is any of this dependent on the weather cooperating?
4: Um, this event will be rain or shine. Um, the um, there there may be one venue that would be more impacted by others that might be outside on Sunday at the Firehouse Museum, but uh, the main stage on the Commons uh, will be covered. It will obviously cover the uh, the musicians. And um, a la Tanglewood, uh, you know, hopefully if you're, uh, you know, bring what you need, depending upon the weather, but everything obviously else will uh, will go as scheduled.
10: Bill, I was saying earlier, by way of admission, those of us who live on the west side of, of, uh, of the valley, you know, my orientation is so many cities and towns that make up Franklin and Hampshire and eastern Berkshire County, and South Hadley, I love South Hadley, but I'm always going to the college, to Mount Holyoke, an extraordinary uh, educational institution. And, and I love going to the Odyssey, and there's a theater there that I always love going to as well. But, Bill, as somebody who lives in Northampton, do you have a, a stronger connection to South Hadley than those of us who live up in the hills do?
0: Well, based on your presentation, Buzz, I'm going to have to say yes.
13: <laughs> I would actually <laughs>
0: They're not not hiring you as the spokesperson or the uh, cultural uh, council front person. But I would like to ask the three guests we have from South Hadley this, because I've been fascinated by this part of the conversation and something that you said, Buzz, which was you kind of think of South Hadley as a bit snoozy, but for those particular venues, the the, uh, Odyssey and the College. Uh, And I'm wondering whether or not this event, which sounds... Really, really, it's quite extraordinary and beautifully curated and really involving all aspects of the community. Whether that speaks to something that has changed in South Hadley in the last five or 10 or 20 years, a different kind of community, because I would not have imagined this event in South Hadley 20 years ago. And you can tell me I'm wrong. Everyone
1: does. (laughs) (laughs) Town Administrator Lisa Wong. I I mean, I think my gut reaction to that is that um, we are emphasizing uh, small businesses. uh, We're emphasizing community. We're emphasizing teamwork. um, And uh, we're we're showcasing things that have been uh, best-kept secrets in South Hadley, but we're also showcasing a lot of new talent, new businesses, um, new initiatives So I I, I think the biggest thing that has changed is that, you know, we're an incredibly diverse community and we're really leaning into that and celebrating that. Um, And we're very excited about the town, um, which has never really been sleepy. I think we've been sleepy in terms of advertising and marketing and showcasing ourselves. And now we just want to be a little bit Louder, have a lot more fun, have a lot more excitement, um, and you know, and, and not you know, I guess I guess overcome that kind of sleepy image we might have.
10: And their first order of business was to fire me as spokesperson. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? This so you can find out more about it, southhadleyarts.org. It's going to be the weekend of October seventh and eighth. It really does sound like an extraordinary lineup, uh, and, uh, an impressive schedule. It's almost all free right
4: yeah no i mean this w- luckily we we had we were able to get some uh, some wonderful funding um uh with the town's approval um uh, thanks to some arpa funds and that helped seed the effort and then also you know the business community um has uh has come aboard uh, with enough to sort of again uh make us practically whole on the effort um and for um and and there are still you know there are still ways to support us online um both as a volunteer and as a uh and as a would-be donor, and we're, um, you know, we're grateful for all the, the support we've gotten because this would not be possible um, uh, because we, the, the, the seed money helped, um, but it really required the community to help us get where we needed to go to put this on.
13: It sounds really just so special. And, Buzz, if you don't mind, I, I would none of this would happen without Lisa Wong, who encouraged us from the get-go.
10: Well, there you have it, Lisa Wong. That's a much better spokesperson <laughs> That's for <exactly>. the community <laughs> than Buzz Eisenberg. That's great. So... I really want to thank you, Lisa Wong. Thank you for coming in. That was Ira Brzezinski. Thank you so much for joining us today and and you, John Enns. I don't know what, break a leg, break a schedule? What do you say when you wish somebody luck? In
4: for, break a leg, I think.
10: Break don't, a leg. We'll keep a don't
13: rain. <laughs> don't too.
10: rain. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, We're please. going to be back with the town administrator and fire chief of Amherst. I'm really looking forward to those conversations.
5: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A proposed housing development in Northampton for people 55 years old and up could require residents to volunteer their time. MassLive reported that a real estate company owned by David Fox, who bought the former Goggins real estate building for $2.6 million, plans to turn it into an 88-unit housing complex. The catch, however, is the requirement that residents must participate in events like a lunch and learn with local nonprofits and people with experience working in the relevant field. The proposed project would cost around $50 million to construct and would require an exception to the town's zoning bylaws to allow for a six-story building. Jury deliberations continue today in the Kara Rentala murder trial. Closing arguments wrapped up Wednesday after 20 witnesses were called by the prosecution and two by the defense. The Commonwealth argued that Rintala spilled paint in her Granby home's basement to cover up the crime scene, eliminating any evidence. This case is historic for the state of Massachusetts, as it is the first case where there was domestic violence and a murder charge brought against a same-sex LGBTQ couple. A former Huntington Select Board member who still sits on the town's planning board and zoning board of appeals will have to pay a $5,000 fine for violating the state's conflict of interest law. The State Ethics Commission found Karen Hathaway in violation for having asphalt millings delivered to her house for personal use rather than to the highway department garage. The millings were intended for a repaving project on Route 66. In total, Hathaway received at least eight loads of millings, according to the commission, which she used to spread over her driveway, making it unreturnable to the town.
3: For today, it'll be cloudy and rainy, High 62 to 66. Tonight, cloudy with rain, overnight lows 50 to 54. And the outlook for Saturday, showers in the morning, then partly sunny in the afternoon, highs in the upper 60s. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
5: Hi Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman program. Occupying the media 3 hours a day, 5 days a week for we the people on 101.5. And 1400, join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman program. WHMP.
12: Brantford Marsalis is one of the most influential figures in contemporary music. He led The Tonight Show Band. He's played with Sting and The Grateful Dead. He's done Broadway, classical, but the center of Brantford Marsalis's musical universe is the Brantford Marsalis Quartet. He's bringing the quartet to UMass October 5th. From New Orleans' first family of jazz, Ranford Marsalis, saxophonist, bandleader, National Endowment for the Arts jazz master, three-time Grammy winner, bringing his quartet to the Frederick C. Tillis Performance Hall. This celebrated jazz ensemble is known for its fearless and uncompromising interpretations of a kaleidoscopic range of material. Original compositions, jazz, and popular classics. Get tickets now at the UMass Fine Arts Center box office. An evening with Branford Marsalis and his quartet, Thursday, October 5th at UMass Amherst.
5: You're listening to "Talk the Talk" with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
10: And welcome back to the show. We are so grateful that we have the m- monthly visit by Town Manager Paul Bachman of Amherst to uh, update us on what's happening in that ever-happened <laughs> town of Amherst. <laughs> and he and he is here with us. Uh, we're joined by the Fire Chief of Amherst, uh, Tim Nelson. Let me start with you, Paul. Um, we have been, uh, covering and we, we always see what happens when there's a transition in August to, uh, from a small sleepy town of Amherst to the bustling college, uh, universe, center of the universe that it becomes with the university, Amherst college. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, that puts demands on the city, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about that.
14: Yeah. So, um, thanks for having us, um, this year is different than previous years. The last few years has been relatively calm. We're noticing an uptick in large parties. Uh, Chief Nelson can talk about the transports. Um, we're seeing a lot more trash on the streets. And it's noticed being noticed by neighbors, but also by businesses as well. So definite impact on the community this year that we're monitoring and sort of cali- recalibrating how we respond to things. Um, higher level of um, uh, Large parties that the Amherst Police Department has to respond to uh, at those parties, we issue t- uh, town bylaw violations if they're violating the, the town's bylaws on those things. So we're in noticing a pretty significant impact impact on the community this how, year. How do you account for the change? You know, we're speculating. We don't know the answer. Um, some people feel um, we we're talking about it at a meeting this morning that you know people who've been you know coming out of COVID that have been you know, um, sort of cooped up and sort of, and, and, or, or just haven't had the sort of modeled behavior about being a good neighbor. Right. And that's what this is all about is being a good neighbor. Um, but we, I don't, there's no clear explanation. There is, and
10: I'm going to circle back to this. There is a guest column that appeared in the daily Hampshire Gazette on the 24th earlier this week by Alex Kent, a dispatch from an Amherst neighborhood under siege And um, without belaboring it, uh, he begins with how he and his wife 22 years ago purchased a house they live in downtown Amherst and how much they love the neighborhood. And then they elaborate on the kinds of things you are talking about, partying and parking problems and uh, the like. Dan, you now live in downtown Amherst.
15: Yeah, I I guess I wanted to hear from, from Paula. What's the concern, you know, if enough people living downtown um you know start saying hey i want to sell my home it, it might end up as a rental unit and have more students living there right so can you talk a little bit about that sort of economic vision for for downtown yeah just by happenstance i met with uh, alex yesterday totally
14: unrelated to the show uh, with a couple of the town counselors as well to talk about he raised all these issues right and we talked through a bunch of them um we don't want people to sell their homes and have them become rentals we think having a Live in year round population downtown is important to the vitality of the downtown area. Um, Chief Nelson works and lives downtown. He, <laughs> he pretty much lives, he lives in South Hadley, but um, he's in the c- central fire station. Alex lives basically behind the fire station. Um, so, in terms of um, making it uh, challenging for families, the economics of the um, rental market are pretty. Um, strong. It's just really hard to fight back against that. Now,
10: there is a bylaw in Amherst about four unrelated people. Yep. There's a limit to how many people could live in a in a rental unit. Could you mm. explain what that bylaw says? Yeah,
14: so it's a bylaw, but it's very difficult to enforce, and here's why. Um, if you say there are five, suppose it's a five-bedroom home and there's five people living in it, and we say you can only have four unrelated people, we go to court. It takes forever to get through housing court. Judges are really not inclined to evict someone and put them on the streets, which are usually at students and who don't have, they've already paid the rent or committed to this room. Um, and by the time it works its way through the court system, the school year's over and then it starts over again. And that's been the challenge that we have had in enforcing that part of the bylaw. Now the other hook on it is rental registration. And that's where the council and the town staff have been working really hard to update our rental registration to hold the rental registration um, uh, permits and hold that as, as
15: our, our hook on them well my question I guess is for the chief Chief tell yeah. us how, how big has it been this year compared to maybe previous years
10: Well if I could just set up that question a little bit more because what I wanted to acknowledge is that as a as fire chief yeah. there, the services that you provide sure it really changes when when the sleepy town of Amherst becomes the bustling, uh campus centered
16: well, i think you could you could say you could you could say say that maybe 10 10 years 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 ago but now in the last 10 10 10 years we've we found that uh at, when uh, when school is out there's just a small down downturn in in, in, terms, in terms of our activity, activity, activity. what what uh, we've we, we found is that the, well the schools have found that if they Operate camps and stuff all you know through, throughout out, out out the year. They can make make make, make money, right? Mm-hmm. So our activity, activity does drop drop some uh, when 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 school is is out. But then it but then it come comes back back when school school is. Well, your activities
10: yeah. are are varied. You have the fire, obviously. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, for that. But you have EMS services. EMS. Yeah,
16: eighty percent of our work is EMS. No. 80, 80, 80, 80, and that's and that's a trend throughout the country So regardless
10: we, of whether schools in session 80 rega- percent yeah, 80% of, of the work- center of our work
16: is e, 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 EMS related yes how many firefighters are there in Amherst we've got uh, our comp complement is 46 right now we're short and ev- ev- everyone one we're down to uh, 41 now so and
10: how about EMS? Uh, Person,
16: are they different? No, EMTs. no. We, uh, we're we're cross trained. We all we do f- fire any the EMS both. So, but our, our 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 activity, you know, when when school school is such an it's a college town, so we know that our activity is gonna is going 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 to go up. So, and that's it's not so much because of it's not it's not so much because of uh, the the stu- students themselves. It's because we have a lot more people in town. And folks, and the more people that you have, the more folks that are going to fall down, more folks that are going to have car accidents, more and more folks that are going to be, be are going to get sick. At at the same time, sure, we have some some students that at times on on, on the w- weekends are going to make bad choices, choices, and it's a small percentage percentage of the school population. But yeah, we have a large large number of students. So that, that can seem like it's a really big, big, big number. I would think number. opioid
10: events and, um, and alcohol events, I would think that those Mostly, all,
16: it's, 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 all, it's mostly all, all alcohol, you know, and because, you know, you've, you've got kids who are away away from home for the fir- first time and they, they're kind of free and they do those things that, that, you know, they make bad, 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 bad cho- choices. But, you know, Folks tend to want want to, and I've I've seen this for years. Folks won't want want to blame the students for all the world's ills and that type type, type of thing. But mm-hmm. really, uh, they 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 make make up about forty percent of our population, but they 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 only account for about twenty 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 five percent of our calls. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference. So it's it's not all about you know the, uh, the students. It's more a fun, function of how many people are in town.
1: Mm-hmm.
10: Paul Bachman, town manager, uh, it, it, can you speak about uh, un, uh, the public safety that uh, Fire Chief Tim uh, Nelson is talking about? But there's also the police. Um, uh, what about the, uh, is there a substantial increase in demands on policing?
14: Yeah, so I think, you know, I talked a little bit about the increased number of um parties that are going on, uh, large parties. We have a system where a, um, if, if a student body or group registers their party in advance, if we get a noise complaint, we give them a, phone, a courtesy phone call and say, you've got 10 minutes to shut down. Uh, and if we get a, a follow-up call, then we go and then they get issued town bylaw violations. It's, it's been very successful. It lets the town plan for where the parties are going to be. Um, It does, you know, Friday nights and Saturday nights. It's becoming Thursday night, too, um, our high demand um, times for the police department.
10: Dan, do you notice this as a resident of the Center of Amherst?
15: Uh, Yeah, I mean, you can. can, I can actually kind of hear it actually coming from (laughs) UMass. It's not terrible, but you can hear it at certain hours. It doesn't bother me so much. as just close the windows, and and I think it changes when the weather gets colder too. I think that like the demand must decrease because there there are just fewer people out in downtown. and There are probably more people staying in and and not going out as much. So I always think it's like a September early and then probably happens in the spring. So mm-hmm. I would assume in late yep. April, yep. April time where they, the weather is nicer and they're all coming back. But there's yep. also a period where it must
16: have a lull. Uh, significantly, you and know, we and start, we you know. we pray for rain, rainy week, yeah, rainy weekends. weekends in in uh, or, early fall and yeah. late and late spring. Right. That's that's yeah. that's when you're going to going to get the concentrated traded activity. Right, and you and you've been getting that actually. It feels like every <laughs> weekend, there pretty much, right now. <laughs> so
15: you're getting exactly that. And and I'm curious for for Paul Buckman, is are you in conversation with UMass about this all the time? Is there like an open committee that works on this? Or? Yeah.
14: So there's a number of things. So every Monday there is called. An on-call meeting, so the police, fire, UMass, um, all get together and talk about the calls for the weekend and the follow-up. So a lot of these calls, when the police respond, they can't have a conversation that night. They have the conversation the next morning mm-hmm. because it's the conversation typically isn't heard that at in the time. But the next morning they do pay a visit and talk to them mm-hmm. um, and then there's also a, a regular campus community coalition meeting mm-hmm. where all these things are, are discussed and also other impacts on the neighbor mm-hmm. neighborhoods. Mm-hmm.
15: Mm-hmm. Uh- because I also just wanted to add, I think it's part of UMass's strategic plan to grow the student population. So I think, you know, they had, the town has to kind of work with UMass being like, okay, where are you going to house all of this? Because mm-hmm. you can't just consume North Amherst plus all of downtown. I mean, sooner or later, the college population might take over the, you know, mm-hmm. might become instead of 40% of the population, might be 50 or 60% right. of the population if they keep growing and they can't build enough buildings to, to satisfy demand. I know this year they had to open up hotels and other spaces to accommodate all the students that are mm-hmm. coming in, so... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What is the
10: surcharge for someone who violates the uh, limits on unrelated people uh, renting in one unit?
14: So that's that requires us to go to court. So there isn't an uh, um, automatic uh, surcharge. And but for like if you violate our noise ordinance through our, um, they can issue a three hundred dollar uh, per person um, bylaw violation. Ouch for a student, right? <clears throat> yeah, and there can be four students on the lease.
10: So, so let me ask you this. The, uh, what I've heard about for a very long time is the traffic, the number of cars that are owned by students at the un- university or Amherst College and that uh, residents of Amherst find difficulty sometimes parking mm-hmm. their own cars because of, of that confluence of cars that are from temporary residence students. Um, what about that problem and what can the town do about that
14: problem? So every residence has a parking, if it's a rental, has a parking plan that allows a certain number of cars to park on their premises. And then we have street parking um, that allows people to park there as well. Downtown parking can be very difficult and challenging. Uh, it becomes especially apparent when there's a snowstorm and we say you can't park on the streets. Then we open their parking lots that you can put your car in. But I think it seems that a lot of people have, everybody has a car, it seems like uh, now. And I think that I'm not sure exactly why that is. A lot of people, when they, you ask them, they say, oh, because I want to go home on weekends and I don't want to take the bus. Um, but there are a lot of cars. And I think that's actually one of the things that we are looking into in terms of stronger enforcement, in terms of um, cars on, on um, front yards and things like that that are not acceptable.
10: Well, I know uh, Fire Chief Tim Nelson, whenever I, that crazy parking in the center of uh, Amherst, when I, I have to back in. Caddy Corner, and I'm looking at your fire station and CVS as I'm backing in. We are talking to Amherst Town Manager Paul Backelman and Fire Chief Tim Nelson. We're going to come back, and when we do come back, I'm really anxious to talk to you about an update on CRESS. We'll talk mm-hmm. about what Crest is all about right after this.
11: I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. I would hate my disappointment to show. There's nothing for me here, so I will disappear. If she turns up while I'm gone, please
5: let me know. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., the Miss Florence Diner in Florence is releasing gift certificates. Miss Flo's Diner, housed in an old train car, offers hearty American comfort food. It's been around for generations on Main Street in Florence and is on the National Register of Historic Places. And this Tuesday, you can save 30%. Miss Flo's Diner in Florence, available this shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at WHMP.com.
6: Jazz abounds downtown this weekend. The Northampton Jazz Festival, celebrating Max Roach with the Max Roach Centennial Concert tomorrow at the Academy of Music the northampton jazz festival kicking off this evening with the jazz strut free performances at seven breweries bars and restaurants downtown the strut starts at 4 30 in pulaski park with the jeff holmes big band tomorrow morning the festival gets going at 10 30 in pulaski park as the expandable brass band leads a jazz parade through downtown ten free shows around town including the return of Matthew Fat Cat Rivera spinning rare jazz 78s in the park. And tomorrow evening, the festival climax, the Max Roach Centennial Concert at the Academy of Music. An all-star band led by South Hadley-born Roach disciple Joe Farnsworth with George Coleman and Christian Sands. Get complete details at NorthamptonJazzFest.org. Jazz abounds downtown this weekend. The Northampton Jazz Festival.
7: Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400.
6: WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits.
5: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP.
10: And we are back. Uh, just before we came back, uh, Bill and I were talking. Amherst just keeps giving to uh, to talk show hosts. Uh, <laughs> It really does, and and today uh, we're here with Town Manager Paul Bachman, and I have to ask uh, the headline in today's and front page right under the fold of the Daily Hampshire Gazette: Background checks for employees incomplete in Amherst. Uh, an unspecified number of employees in the Amherst Pelham and Amherst Pelham Regional Schools have been working directly with students for the past two school years without appropriate background checks in violation of state law. What do you know about that? What can you tell us about that?
14: I know exactly what you read in the paper. It was, it, we learned about this yesterday. Um, it's very disturbing, um, and I know the, super, the acting superintendent is working to correct that, uh, but that's something that needs to be fixed pronto.
10: I know, Paul Bachman, I every time we've, we've met, you've made it clear that there's sort of this, um, uh, this jurisdictional bridge that, mm-hmm. um, but you really are not directly involved in the schools and the day-to-day operation. The school committee, the regional school committee, and the various school committees that comprise the district um, all are independent of Mm -hmm. uh, the government, which you are deeply involved in. Yet, um, hey, you're looking for a superintendent. You have yet another resignation of a school committee member, which makes five uh, uh, in the wake of the graphic um, Mm -hmm. uh, article by students. So what can you tell us about what's going on?
14: So... We had a really good process for putting three new school committee members. The remaining members of the school committee met with the town councilors on Tuesday. They went through a very thorough, transparent process, uh, interviewed 11 people to, to serve, and um, that was a very positive experience. It picked three very talented people. Members said any of the 11 could have served on this school committee. The school committee, the remaining members of the school committee, counselors, and all the Participants said it was they really appreciate the process and felt that this was a, a watershed moment that we could start to build back and gain the trust of the public again.
10: What about the lack of transparency that people are complaining about, so many people in Amherst are complaining about, because the investigation resulted in a report about what had happened, uh, what the role of school employees had been in, in what happened. Ultimately, the superintendent's office is not going to be released. Um, do you have any insight for us and our listeners
14: about uh, that lack of transparency. So no more insight than anybody else. I know I, I deal with HR issues all the time. There's sensitive issues and there's certain things that are personnel records that you just can't release and then there are, there's decisions that you have to make along the way. And I think, you know, people want to know all the details about everything and sometimes that's that's a benefit, but sometimes it's just not legally able to be done.
10: Well, Bill, another arena in which uh, we haven't been able to uh, gain transparency is um, the, I guess it was the leave of absence taken by the director of CRESS. Um, I know that you were concerned about what how, what happened and what can we know about that?
0: Yeah, what can we know about a Town Manager Paul Bachelman? What can you tell us? And and to the point of what about CRESS, which was rolled out with great fanfare and great anticipation and great hope for alternatives to policing, And it hasn't had a leader for a long, long time. So where does Crest stand? Where does it stand operationally? And when will there be a director?
10: And can we start with what Crest stands for? Sure.
14: So Crest stands is an alternative Uh, responder, we sometimes call it alternative dispatch, and ultimately we want to get beyond its alternative. It's dispatch, just like police, fire, and EMS. Um, CREST stands for Community Responders for Equity, Safety, and Service. Um, The director is on paid administrative leave as we work through some issues. Um, In the meantime, we have an interim leadership team, which includes the being led by our DEI director Pamela Nolan Young, and includes um, a member of the police department and also Fire Chief Nelson, who's here today, plus um, one of the um, the program assistant for for um, or the implementation manager for the Crest program. This team is is providing the leadership for the program right now, which is we knew right away that this we needed to have leadership uh, in its place. And uh, Chief Tim Nelson, what what is the status?
16: Is it actually operational right now, Chris? I, we're not not so much of op, of op, one, one, one of the things we talked talked about was that it, it might, we may need need to do, do a, a re- reset you know what is a reset look just like just sort of kind of taking a step step back and seeing uh, that that we're true true to the mission and really define better defining what the mission is and that, and, and you know, I I went to uh, Paul and uh, said, you know, I, I think we we need to t- 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 take a look, 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 look at this. And he and he stepped, stepped, stepped up and said, you know, yeah, yeah, we do. One one of the things I I said said, said was a, it's it's a mark of a strong organization that can, you know, take take takes on some something and say, you know, we've invested invested a lot lot in this, and we may need to take a, a different different path. And at the same same time, saying. We need to keep an eye on what the mission is, and and ours is take, taking care of people. So, uh, so that so I think that with the, with the leadership ship, ship team, we're 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 go, going down 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 the right the correct correct path path now.
10: And Paul Bachman, with the with the uh, paid administrative leave of the director of Cress, has that uh, enlarged the amount of time before it can actually get operational.
14: So Cress has been operational for a year. Um, you know is it's the fastest. Um, up to operational from uh, inception, from any department in the country, um, and that might be a lesson learned. Maybe we went too fast. And I think that's one of the things we I've been talking with responders about. That you know, were we ready? Um, so yeah. So I think it it is up and running, um, but we're going to take a, a, a look back and see how we're doing. Could you
0: talk about that for one more minute? Um, I'd like to know whether or not there's any data. Uh, on how quest an alternative to police response, has impacted
14: public safety in the town of Amherst. So we are putting together a report that will that will include that kind of um, that information and talk, uh, talk about it about the calls that we've responded to. And if we, we've learned a lot about the calls that we're responding to. We want to listen to the responders because they've been doing the job for a year, and that's where we're going to get the best data. When do you expect that report to be uh, ready? It's, it's a report that I'm not sure exactly the timeline for it, but I know they're just working on it.
10: we got to be able to see the report. Yes, <laughs> I know. It's all public. It's all public. That's really good. I am so grateful. Uh, every time you come in, Town Manager uh, Paul Bachman, it's such a vibrant and interesting community in Amherst. And Fire Chief Tim, Tim Nelson, thank you for spending time with us today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate this. Uh, we all appreciate it. And all of you listeners, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for you joining us all week. Remember, don't just
5: talk the talk. Walk the talk the walk (laughs) this is talk the talk with bill newman and buzz Eisenberg on whmp find local news and local talk for the valley
8: if we didn't go for this project the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million and we don't get help with that so this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students.
5: Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts.
8: Want to know more about local history, literature, and education? Hilltown Families' bi-monthly Learning Ahead Cultural Itineraries offer an easy way to delve into Western Mass culture and traditions. These new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert, offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong learners to engage in learning that helps shape a sense of place. Funded by a year-long grant from Mass Humanities, you can download guides anytime, free of charge at hilltownfamilies.com. Org.
5: WHMP, NORTHAMPTON, AND WRSI-HD2, TURNERS FALLS.